Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening to this Bible Crossfire program every week at this same time. On this program, we try to actually give what the Bible teaches instead of what we want it to be, what we think is best, what will bring in the biggest crowds, what is the most politically correct. We're trying to just teach exactly what the Bible says. Doesn't mean we can't be wrong. I mean, we know the Bible is right, but Patrick Donahue can be wrong. So if I'm wrong about something I'm teaching, you'd be our best friend to call us up and correct us. Uh, call us up with a Bible question. That which is, that's what this program is all about, or Bible comment. We'd love to hear from you. Callers get priority. We talk about a subject while we're waiting on our calls, but callers get priority. Um, last week, we started talking about forgiveness and just got a bunch of calls about once saved, always saved. Let's continue our discussion of forgiveness at this time. We, we noted last week, from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin and the resulting separation from God, the fact that we're lost because of our sin, that's the problem. That is the religious problem. And God's forgiveness, that's what I said we're going to talk about tonight. God's forgiveness is the answer to that problem. Our sin, the fact that we're lost because of our sin, that's the problem. God's forgiveness is the answer to that problem. Colossians 2.13 reads this way. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, this is written to Christians, not to non-Christians. Jesus died for everybody, even the atheist. But the atheist is not forgiven. Christians are forgiven because they trust and obey, and they're forgiven because of the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. He has forgiven the Christians all of their trespasses. Hebrews 8.12 puts it this way. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, that doesn't mean God, he's suddenly uh, got amnesia, and he can't recall your sin. I mean, he forgave David, but we can read about David's sin and his repentance, his forgiveness in 2 Samuel 12. So it's not like God can't recall it. I mean, he can read it in the, about David's sin in the Bible anytime he wants. He remembers our sin no more after it's forgiven in the sense he doesn't break it back up. Have you ever maybe did something wrong to somebody and then you asked for their forgiveness? You were sorry. They forgave you. But then later, maybe six months down the road, they brought it back up. God never does that. Once he forgives you, he doesn't remember it against you anymore. He won't bring it back up. That's what Hebrews 8 verse 12 is talking about. The lines are wide open if you got a Bible question or comment. The number to call is 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. We're talking about God being willing to forgive us. And as I said, all forgiveness by God is based upon the sacrifice of Christ. If Christ hadn't died, it wouldn't matter what we did. We couldn't be forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the solution to the sin problem. Christ died for our sins. He died to pay for our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 puts it this way, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So you, you see the analogy? I mean, you take some dirty clothes, you put them in the washing machine, get them washed, and the stains are gone. Our stain is our sin. And the blood of Christ is, the we might say, the detergent or the water. We're, our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. Again, that means without the death of Christ, we cannot be saved. We cannot be forgiven for a single sin. If we commit a sin, it doesn't matter if we did a hundred things right. We won't be forgiven for that sin unless we get the blood of Christ applied. Now, so the blood of Christ is what enables us to be forgiveness. All forgiveness by God is based upon the sacrifice of Christ. But God's forgiveness has always been contingent upon our repentance. It's always been contingent upon our repentance. For example, even in the Old Testament, we can read in Ezekiel 18, 21 and 22. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned to him in his righteousness that he hath done. He shall live. It's clearly saying a wicked person in the Old Testament could be forgiven. We know from Romans 3, uh, verse 25, and Hebrews 9, 15 through 17, those Old Testament saints' sins were forgiven based upon the blood of Christ. So we're not saying these this wicked man's sins were forgiven without the blood of Christ. Not at all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It takes the blood of Christ. But this wicked man's sins were forgiven they were washed away by the blood of Christ, Ezekiel 18, when he turned from his sins and started doing that which was lawful and right. You see, that's what a person had to do, Old Testament and New Testament. If you want to be forgiven, based upon the blood of Christ, you have to repent. Repentance is always required in order to be forgiven. A lot of people don't realize that. They think, well, Jesus died for me, so my sins are going to be forgiven regardless of whether or not I repent. Not so. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repentance is always required to avoid perishing spiritually. If you want to avoid being lost, you're going to have to repent of your sins. There's no two ways about that. All forgiveness is conditioned upon repentance. One, in becoming a Christian, you have to repent. And two, as a Christian, you have to repent to be forgiven of your sins. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So here in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter is preaching a sermon. He's preaching to some people who believe. He teaches them that they have crucified the Son of God and they believe that and want to know what to do to make it right, verse 37. What to do to be forgiven? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Now, it's clear from this verse you have to be baptized to get the remission or the forgiveness of sins. Host of preachers and churches teach you can be saved without from your sins without being baptized. Now, this verse makes it clear that's wrong. You have to be baptized for the remission of sins to get the remission of sins. But that baptism won't do you any good unless you repent first. He, he didn't just say to be baptized for the remission of sins. He said, He's talking to believers here. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Repentance means that you change your mind in regard to sin. You're making a commitment to change your life in regard to sin. 
and then you're baptized. Based upon your belief and your repentance, if you get baptized, you get your sins forgiven, and then God expects you to follow through on that commitment, that repentance, the commitment to change your life in regard to sin. In becoming a Christian, in being born again, and that's part of that, being born again is water baptism, John 3, 5, you have to repent. And then after you become a Christian, you're you're going to sin again. Nobody lives perfectly. What about those sins? We don't have to go back and be rebaptized. You only have to be born again one time. First John 1, 9 is written to Christians who sin. It says, if we confess our sins, he, talking about God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see what a person, what a Christian has to do to be forgiven of his sins? He has to be willing to confess his sins. Acts 8, 22 says he has to repent and pray and ask God to forgive him. Repentance is always required, always required to be forgiven based upon the blood of Christ. In becoming a Christian, you have to repent. Even after you're a Christian, you have to repent in order to be forgiven of sin. Second Peter 3, 9 puts it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And in this context, talking about the promise of the second coming of Christ. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, or patient, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you see? The Lord is putting off the second coming of Christ to give us more people time to repent so they can avoid perishing, but you have to repent in order to avoid perishing. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's clear you have to repent in order to avoid being lost spiritually. Again, a lot of people think they're just going along with their life. They sin as they want. They think God's going to save them based upon the death of Christ. They don't repent of their sins. Nothing can be further from the truth. That's just wishful thinking. A lot of people teach because of that, once saved, always saved. Once you become a Christian, you can sin. You don't have to repent. You're going to be saved anyway. That's once saved, always saved. The Bible teaches clearly against that. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. You know, the gay church says they believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible. You realize that, don't you? But they hadn't repented of being gay, had they? <laughs> That's, there's a good, good illustration of the fact that you have to repent in order to be forgiven. If you didn't, the gay church would be saved in their homosexuality, even though they refuse to repent of it. We know that's not true. There are too many verses that Old Testament knew that condemn homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says homosexuals and sodomites shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Can a homosexual be forgiven? Of course, if they repent, just like any other sin. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to quit that sin, and then you follow through. Repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of action. Just like a homosexual has to quit being a homosexual if he wants to be to be forgiven by the blood of Christ, any other sin is the same way. Any other sin is the same way. We always have to repent in order to be forgiven, and it's based upon the blood of Christ. Now, another thing about forgiveness that I'd like to mention, pretty important. We must forgive others to be forgiven ourselves. For example, Jesus speaking in Matthew 6, we sometimes call this part of the Sermon on the Mount the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then right after the prayer is over, he explains or he elaborates upon verse 12. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in the model prayer, Jesus said, forgive us as we forgive others. And Jesus, after the model prayer is over, he says, you got to be willing to forgive others or God won't forgive you. So that's important. We all want to be forgiven by God for our sins, but are we willing to forgive others of their sins against us? Well, we have to be, according to Matthew 6, 14 and 15. God's not going to forgive me unless I'm willing to forgive others. Ephesians 4, 32 puts it this way. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see how we have to be to one another? Kind, tender-hearted, meaning sympathetic with other people's problems and plights. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We're to forgive others like God forgives us. Now that brings up an interesting point. We already just found out just a while ago that God forgives us when we repent. So we're to forgive others as God forgives us. That means we would forgive others when they repent and not before. Isn't that what we read in Luke 17, verse 3? Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. That's a big little word, if. If he repent, forgive him. That would mean if he doesn't repent, don't forgive him. Now, that doesn't mean you hold a grudge or anything like that against him. Not at all. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But what it means in this verse is, if the brother sins against you, you rebuke him. If he repents, you forgive him. Means That means you quit rebuking him. You quit trying to correct him. When somebody sins, it's our duty to correct them as we have, opportun- as we have op- opportunity. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 3.18 says, basically, if someone sins and you don't warn them about the sin, their blood will be required at your hand. Acts 20, verse 31, Paul talked about he warned people night and day. Our duty is to try to warn. When somebody sins against us, we're to try to warn them, rebuke them. Not because we get satisfaction out of their forgiveness or out of their repentance. No, we're warning them and rebuking them because we want them to be forgiven by God. Because without forgiveness from God, they can't be saved. So we continue to rebuke them until they repent. Doesn't mean while we're waiting on them to repent, we hate them or hold a grudge or take vengeance against them. Not at all. Those are sinful attitudes. It just means when we say we don't forgive them until they repent, it means we continue to rebuke them. We continue to try to get them to repent because we know they've got to repent to receive forgiveness from God. We don't want to say, hey, I forgive you and give them a false hope of heaven. That would be the worst thing we could do for them. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755 is the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment. So the Bible says in Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus said, it, if he repents, forgive him, meaning if he doesn't repent, don't forgive him. But as I said, that doesn't mean we show hatred, hold a grudge, are bitter against them, or are vengeful toward them. Even in the Old Testament, we saw those are the wrong kind of attitudes. Leviticus 19.18 reads this way. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So we're not, at least the Israelites were not, and we're going to see in, in, in a minute that it was the same way in the New Testament. They were not to avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of their people. So even while you're waiting on somebody to repent, you do not avenge 
what they've done to you. You do not bear a grudge against them. That's a sinful attitude. Here's what the New Testament says. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and anger and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice means hatred. So when somebody sins against us, we cannot be bitter toward them or anger toward them, or we cannot speak evil about them. We cannot have hatred toward them. Those are always sinful attitudes. Yes, we wait on them to repent, to forgive them, but in the meantime, we don't have bitterness, anger, evil speaking, or hatred toward them. Those are sins. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just some because somebody wrongs us, that doesn't give us the right to wrong them back. I mean, if we do wrong to them back, that's sort of like that would justify what they did to us in the first place. They're mean to us. We're going to be nice back to them. Colossians 3.19, talking to husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands are commanded to not be bitter against their wives. Now, hopefully, both parties in a marital relationship are treating each other like we read uh, a while ago in, uh, uh, in Ephesians 4. Being kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's the only way the marriage is going to work, really. But even if your wife is treating you harshly and in a mean way, meaning she's not following the Bible in her attitude towards you, you still cannot treat her in a mean way. You cannot be bitter against her. Uh, two wrongs never make a right. Uh, it's just that simple. We have to obey God even if nobody else is obeying God. No matter how mean somebody is to you, you can't be mean to them back. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says this, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and hereby many be defiled. So we're going to be, we're going to fail of the grace of God if we let this root of bitterness spring up. You know, bitterness and another sin I think of, jealousy, they're like roots. Root of bitterness. Bitterness and jealousy always lead to other sins. If I'm jealous of somebody, then when somebody else compliments them, I'm going to try to cut them down. If I'm bitter about something towards someone, I'm going to end up treating them in an ugly way. It's called a root of bitterness. Bitterness is a sin, jealousy is a sin, and those sins lead to other sins. We cannot be that way. Now, we're talking about forgiveness tonight. Talking about forgiveness. And God is so merciful to be willing to forgive us based upon the blood of Christ. He's so patient with us. Willing to forgive us sometimes even the same sin over and over and over, as long as we're willing to repent. But you know, as great a blessing as God's grace and forgiveness is based upon the blood of Christ, the death, the torturous death of Christ. Don't forget that we must obey the gospel for our sins to be washed away by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Jesus died for you if you don't take advantage of it by obeying the gospel. Remember Saul of Tarsus. He believed in Jesus on the road to Damascus. Three days later, Ananias was sent to tell him what to do. And here's what Ananias told Saul to do three days after he believed. Many will teach you're saved at the point of belief, but here's what Ananias told Saul three days after he believed. Acts 22, 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, we all agree. We went over this earlier in the lesson. We all agree the blood of Christ is the thing that washes away our sins. The question is when? 
Well, with Saul, it didn't happen when he believed. It happened at least three days later when he was baptized. So obviously, you got to believe and be baptized according to be saved. It, well, isn't that what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So back to what I was saying, it doesn't matter how much God's forgiveness is available based upon the blood of Christ. If you don't obey the gospel, if you don't believe and repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, just like Acts 2.38 requires, then all of that's for naught. You might say you're, you're wasting the blood of Christ. He died for you. He bought the ticket for you to go to heaven. But you have to accept that ticket. You have to take advantage of that ticket. You have to use that ticket. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's taking advantage of the ticket. If you have a Bible question or comment about this topic of forgiveness or any other Bible topic, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. You know, last week we were talking about once saved, always saved. And how that's false, of course. One passage that we did not read was Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 12. This is a good passage to show when people say, well, if you're a Christian, you would never fall away. <laughs> well, that's that's a nice thing to say, but the Bible doesn't teach that. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So here in this chapter, the book of Hebrews, he's definitely talking to Christians, not just pretenders. Not just people who look like Christians. He's talking to brethren. Not only that, holy brethren. Holy is a synonym. Same Greek word is sanctified, meaning cleansed. These are brethren that have been cleansed from their sins. It says they're partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian has partaken of the heavenly calling. He warns these Christians, clearly Christians, verse 12, take heed brethren, talking to these same Christians, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Some people say, hey, once you become a Christian, there's no way for you to turn away from God. Why would God warn these Christians against developing the evil heart of unbelief and departing from God if that were impossible? I mean, here in North Alabama, you're not going to see a road sign, a billboard sign that says, beware sharks. This is a, uh, an illustration from my friend Alan Dvorak. I think it's funny. Why? Because we're not near the ocean. There's no sharks around here. We don't bother to warn people about sharks if it's impossible to... Why would God warn these Christians against developing an evil heart of unbelief and departing from God if that were impossible? And the answer is, of course, that he wouldn't. This warning against Christians changing back to unbelief and departing from God is real and proves that it's possible for a person who truly becomes a Christian, a holy brother, a partaker of the heavenly calling, to change his mind. He doesn't become a robot when he becomes a Christian to change his mind and change back to unbelief and depart from God. Now, what happens to a person who becomes a person who's a believer, a true believer, and then he becomes an unbeliever, which is shown to be possible by Hebrews 3.12? Well, let's read John 3.36. We'll see. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John 3.36. So a believer has everlasting life. He's going to be saved. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what about the unbeliever? This verse says the unbeliever will not see life. He's going to be lost. What about the believer that becomes an unbeliever? Well, if he's an unbeliever now, he's not a believer. He doesn't have everlasting life anymore. Instead, he shall not see life. John 3.36 says that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
So is it possible for a believer, a true believer, one that really became a Christian to change and become an unbeliever? Yes, Hebrews 3.12. What's his spiritual state if that happens? John 3.36 makes it clear that he's lost. And so this idea of once saved, always saved, as I say, it's just wishful thinking. People want it to be true that once they become a Christian, they can live any old way they want to and still be saved. There's not a verse in the Bible that comes close to teaching that. There's a there's maybe a verse on almost every page of the Bible that proves that's false, but people believe it anyway because it's wishful thinking. Once saved, always saved is not taught anywhere in God's word, just wishful thinking. Now, I try to, at the end of my program, offer the free home Bible study. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me over the phone, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. A free one-hour phone Bible study anytime at your convenience. Call or text me, 256-682-9753. We appreciate you listening tonight and invite you to listen next week at this same time.